Welcome to Kentucky Horsepower, the official podcast of the Kentucky Automobile Dealers Association. Hi, good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Kentucky Horsepower, the official podcast of KADA. I am Jason Wilson, president of KADA, and joining me today are KADA's uh, outside counsel, uh, Sarah Bishop, Ron Smith. Uh, appreciate both of you being here today on, as we have some interesting topics for sure. Thanks for having us. So we'll jump right into it here. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion uh, uh, as we've been talking about here internally, as NADA has been spending items out about these amended FTC uh, red flag rules and uh, what that means. And I know a lot of folks are familiar with it at a higher level, but may not be aware of some of the, the details that are involved to include the timing of when these things go into effect. So let's just jump right into it. And um, Let's talk about, and Sarah, I'll start with you. Uh, what are some items that uh, folks need to be aware of? And also part two of that is what are the things that they can expect to be seeing from KDA through your office uh, in the future dealing with this topic? Sure. And, and you're going to be hearing a lot from us on this topic in the coming weeks because of the December 9th, 2022 deadline for these Um safeguard rules to go into effect. So we need dealers to be in, in compliance with the safeguards by December 9th, 2022. And these amendments came down at the end of 2021 after a few years of, of kind of being batted back and forth at the regulatory level. And it, it imposes significantly wider restrictions or compliance rules on dealers who, can, who collect consumer information. So it's really about protecting the consumer information from cyber attacks or data breaches or anything else. But there are a lot of, a lot of pieces and parts to that to make sure um, that not only are you protecting information, but you're looking at what you do to protect information. And you're, you're staying on top of the, what the latest risks and threats are to your dealership and to your consumer's information. One okay. thing to note is that the FTC doesn't have the authority to, you know, immediately fine you. But what it can do is initiate an enforcement action against uh, non-compliant dealers. And if it's your first time violation, they can't, they can't fine you. But once you enter into like a consent order and an enforcement action or anything else, then they have the ability to, to seek up to $46,000 per violation of those consent orders. So all the things you're gonna be telling you in the coming weeks, you're gonna roll your eyes at. And they're gonna be costly and time consuming and not a great deal of fun. But it's important to be compliant with this just because of the, the financial costs, not only of the enforcement actions and any fines that could come from those, but real financial costs if there is a data breach and if your consumer's information gets compromised. Now, dealers should have been uh, aware of safeguard rules because these red flag rules have been around for a lot of years. But the current amendments heighten the responsibility uh, of the dealer before you had to make a reasonable, commercially reasonable effort to comply with those rules. And many third party vendors gave you packages and whatnot to deal with that. 
Now the responsibility rests solely and squarely on the dealer. It can be uh, essentially uh, delegated to a third party vendor and the KADA has a very fine uh, uh, endorsed vendor, but you are still responsible for the actions of that vendor and you're still responsible for the oversight of that vendor. And you're still responsible for something we'll go into in a later podcast and a later bulletin, the administration of third party contracts from vendors that have access to your uh, customer information. So with that, uh, we uh, are going to publish uh, a nine part a bulletin series and we'll update it with further podcast or webcast. But the very first step that dealers have to do is appoint a what is determined as a qualified individual. Sarah, do you want to discuss that generally? Yes. And what it means to be a qualified individual depends on the size of your dealership, the amount of customer information you possess and and some other factors. So what you wanna do, a qualified individual can, can be someone within an IT department, it can be a vendor, it can be someone within um, your dealership structure, but they there should be a senior executive that is overseeing the qualified individual and that that is one of their duties. Um, the qualified individual needs to be reporting um, to your board or to your dealership ownership. So it's important to have a qualified dealer or a qualified individual that is going to be aware of what's going on and has the technology expertise to oversee your IT security program. And it doesn't necessarily require any special training, but you want to make sure that it's somebody who, who can, who has at least enough training to know how to, to know what kind of information you have and what security procedures are or need to be in place. Now, in short, this should not be the guy that posts the, the pictures of the cars on the internet. It should be, a, again, as Sarah suggests, a senior office officer or senior uh, executive of, of the dealer management staff. That person has to be familiar at least with the systems and have a fundamental understanding of computer systems and computer security. Uh, they can rely on other people uh, for information, but the idea behind the regs is to have one individual in a business that is responsible for the implementation and management of these programs. Uh, now, you can delegate, as we said before, but you still have to have a qualified individual. You can't delegate the qualified individual position to a third-party vendor because there has to be oversight of the third-party vendor that you are uh, contracting with. The, uh, one of the things that you would want to do, and if you've attended some of our past workshops and presentations, we've always suggested that you have for third-party contracts, one person in the dealership that is designated as the administrator uh, or manager of those third-party vendor contracts and relationships. And that that person is responsible for triggering start dates, termination dates, the method of termination, reviews, and uh, things of that sort. So perhaps you could combine those functions 
with this uh, uh, qualified individual function because as you'll see in later bulletins and later podcasts, um, that is uh, an important part, the management of third-party vendor contracts. Sarah? Yeah, um, one of the things that, that they'll need to do in managing this in looking at the third-party contracts is what's tricky is you're not only the keeper of your own information security, but you need to be aware of the information security that your vendor is using. And we'll get more into this in further bulletins. So I don't wanna to get too down into the weeds with you now about uh, being your vendor's keeper, but just you, need, you should be aware as you start to implement these uh, programs of what your responsibilities are gonna be. So oh, we've, been, we've, just throwing it, we've just throwing a lot out there, right? <laughs> so let's talk about just the highlights of the low or low, of what we just spoke about. Uh, I think it's worth noting, again, the fine situation is, is, is what's really concerning with this, or at least wants to, to, to Ron's point, you want to make sure you have the right people handling this within your organization. And that's going to be someone in senior management uh, that could be a CFO, someone who's uh, you know, involved at that level of management, along with your, the person that's going to be handling your, your security systems. Because Sarah, let, let's, the, the fine situation, again, once you get uh, you have that sort of initial warning if you haven't been fined before, but to your point, if you get fined again, these dollar amounts are very high. They are. They are. It's alarming almost how high they are. Now, I don't think if it's your second violation and you have a minor breach that you're going to get a $46,000 fine, but I think you have to be prepared for the possibility of not only the fines, but the cost you're going to pay in defending yourself against the fines. And if you've got a big data breach, you may be looking at liability to your customers, which is um, could go even higher and is terrifying. Well, one of the things that's probably a little bit more dangerous than the actual fine process of the Federal Trade Commission itself uh, is the potential uh, consumer actions under state law. There is no private right of action under the Federal Trade Commission uh, red flag regulations. Uh, that is administered by the FTC. It's a civil fine kind of thing. But uh, uh, enterprising uh, consumer lawyers always find a way to work in state law, deceptive practices, or again, privacy elements uh, into uh, class action suits or things of that sort. So my guess is that where we're going to come down at the end of the day on this is that, again, there will be some kind of rule of reason that will be established. And if you have made uh, a legitimate good faith attempt, as I've said in presentations before, nobody's going to be able to comply 100% with this because it's just too much to comply with. But if you've made a reasonable good faith uh, effort to at compliance and have the proper structure in place, then you should be pretty well insulated. So again, a lot to take in there. There'll be many more uh, uh, emails, discussions, podcasts on this subject. So just please stay tuned. The, we're going to do our best as a uh, association to ensure you all are getting this information in a timely manner. And again, to Sarah and Ron's point, uh, this is going to begin in the format of this nine-part series. Again, the fact we need nine parts to address <laughs> this kind of lets you know what level of important this is to uh to uh, to all involved and uh, Ron had mentioned earlier that we are 
uh, working with a very highly regarded uh, vendor on this subject matter to help uh, dealers stay compliant and get compliant, stay compliant. And there'll be a release on that very shortly and more details on that that will be available to you uh, as a KDA uh, member. Um, so we've talked about uh, this topic here. Let's move on to something else and let's talk uh, Ron, let's talk about market area assignments. That's something that has uh, come up here as of late. I'd like to get your comments on that. I know this is something that will interest uh, our dealers quite a bit. Yeah, and we'll have more information again with regard to this also. Uh, but since uh, we did a every 10 year census uh, in 2020, all of the manufacturers are now beginning the process of putting out new market area assignments. Those are the census tracts, or in a few cases still, the zip codes that, that, that make up the dealer's assigned market area. And this is extraordinarily important. Uh, many years ago, you used to get these things from the factory and you just tossed them in the, in the file cabinet and never could find them again. It has become vitally important because the, these form the basis of the measure, measurement of your sales effectiveness and also service effectiveness. Uh, and the other things under the franchise agreement, which the manufacturer can pound you about if you are not effective. Statistically, and we don't need to go into this at this point, many of these standards that manufacturers use uh, are not statistically reliable or valid. But the fact of the matter is everything begins with the assignment of the market area. That assignment of the market area theoretically has to be, uh, you have to have a advantage distance-wise uh, over your competitors. In other words, a, a, you can't have census tracts assigned to you that are outside of a reasonable area that you have no ability to influence or draw sales from. So it becomes vitally important when you get these maps or a reassignment that you examine those See if you think there's any changes or if you think your original market area was not appropriately assigned. And many times we examine these maps and I just looked at some uh, uh, last week where uh, uh, dealers have, uh, for example, a geographic barrier and with their market area, traffic patterns are off, demographics are off. Uh, they have uh, a, a census tracts assigned uh, that are very far away because the location of the store is in one area and the natural, for example, state line blocks one uh, area. Some of these go across state lines, some go across the Iowa River without a bridge. And so it's very important that you check those and get some help in analyzing that. Uh, we do uh, that sort of work uh, but we do not do statistical analysis. If we, we may suggest that a dealer get a market study from one of two firms in the United States that offer that for dealers. But the fact of the matter is, if you have an inappropriately assigned market area, that is directly going to influence your sales performance, your service performance, your ability to get incentives, your ability to get other dealerships later, uh, and uh, the uh, just general financial uh, ability uh, to, to uh, uh, maximize the performance of your store. 
So it's very important when you get that, that you don't just toss it. You need to look at it. If something looks out of whack, then you need to get some assistance with regard to analyzing it. And there is an appeals process to this, right? So that comes from the OEM. Uh, touch yeah, on that briefly, what that yeah. looks like. Well, contractually, uh, for example, General Motors has a, uh, a provision where you can object to the assignment within 30 days after receipt, and you can get another 30 days to present any kind of, of uh, evidence that you want to present, ask for a reassignment. And in some cases, the reassignment does take place, but it's more important that you get on record as objecting to this, so that if the manufacturer does try to punish you later on through allocations, incentives, or even termination, mm -hmm. that you have built up a file where you have objected to that. One very common situation in Kentucky and Indiana both is the presence of manufacturing facilities by competitive uh, manufacturers. And that uh, invariably affects non branded uh, uh, dealers, for example, a Toyota uh, located in Georgetown, Ford located in, in Louisville uh, type of thing, impacts the performance of other dealers because of the large number of employee purchasers or friends of purchasers. Uh, of, uh, and uh, that directly impacts the ability of a dealer in those areas that's affected by that condition to achieve their required sales effectiveness. Yeah, it makes sense. And as the landscape changes, I mean, even this last uh, few months with the announcement of major uh, battery producing capabilities, uh, Ford being one of them uh, uh, here in the state, all of that I, I suspect has an impact and, and worthy of consideration and questioning uh, from that standpoint. Um, so as we close here, is there anything else uh, either Sarah or Ron, you would like to add as sort of a final thought as we deal with the subject matters we just spoke with today. And again, there will be more uh, things that we send out on this regularly. On the red flags, I would say don't wait because it's it seems like a long way to December 9th, but there's a lot of hoops to jump through and you've got a lot of work to do uh, on that. On the, um, on the market area assignment, be vigilant and make sure you're on top of it because it is a key to everything that follows. Okay, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. On the FTC stuff, if you haven't already begun trying to be in compliance or seeing what you're going to do to make sure that you're in compliance, you're already a little bit behind. Um, it'll be here before you know it. And it's not one of those things that you can just get a vendor for it and be done. So start thinking about those things now. Great point. So. Ron Smith, Sarah Bishop, thank you for being with us again. Our counsel from Stolkeen and Ogden. Uh, part of your benefits as being a member of KADA is you have access as needed to be able to ask these sort of questions and other things that come across uh, your desk on a regular basis. So with that, we will wrap up this edition of Kentucky Horsepower. Thank you both for being with us today. And to our members, we'll uh, be uh, sending things out regularly and often. And uh, feel free to contact with any further questions as needed. But that'll wrap it up and we'll see you all down the road.